wagon. The Wells Fargo wagon? Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, please let it be for me. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. I wish, I wish I knew what it could be. I got a box of maple sugar on my birthday. In March, I got a great Mackinac. And once I got some grapefruit from Tampa. Montgomery Ward sent me a bath of band across Pensaw. Is that the first thing I said or not? Yes, George. Yes, the very first thing I said or I'll eat hay with a horse. Get that Spellfinder's credentials, I said. Morning of July 4th, 19 and tw 12. And now look, my wife is off dancing at any and all hours instead of in the home. And the school board is singing up street and down alley instead of telling the city matters. My oldest girl is bootling around with some wild kid, and my business has fell off so far I can't find the balance sheet. Mayor Shin, I found something very interesting in this book about Professor Hill's alma mater. I know all about that. In fact, that's all I can ever get out of them. Gary Conservatory, class of Alt Five. But if you just take time to read a little about the conservatory, you wouldn't have to look any further. It's on page... Papa, the Wells Fargo wagon is coming this way! Wells Fargo wagon? It could be the band instruments! The band instruments? But Mayor Shin... Uh, later, later. Wells Fargo wagon is a coming now. Is it a brave paid surprise or COD? It could be cartons or dishes or a dab of boiler. Or it could be. Yes, it could be. Yes, you're right. It surely could be something special. Something very, very special now. Just for me. Oh, oh the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, don't let him pass my door. Oh, oh the Wells Salmon from Seattle last September. And I expect a new rocking chair. I hope I get my raisins from Fresno. The DA honored Santa Cannon for the courthouse square. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon, it's a coming now. I don't know how I can ever wait to see. It could be something for someone who is no relation, but it could be. I'm very excited about Tom Hishak's new book, Broadway Decoded, and particularly honored that he dedicated it to me. Um, I think it's a really interesting book to read. I love paging through it and learning all of these neat things about Broadway musicals, all of these references that maybe we had a question about or can learn a little bit more about. Um, this is the perfect book for Tom to have written. He loves this kind of thing, so I wish him well with it. And so good luck, Tom. Hello, Tom. How are you? 
Fine, thank you. <laughs> we're having a little glitch there. I was trying to get that clip up there. Uh, that, of course, uh, was Mark Robinson, who gave you the inspiration for this book. Uh, I want to thank everyone for being here today. Today is National Read a Book Day, and I couldn't think of a better book to start with than Broadway Decoded. Um, I'd like to share a little story before we jump into the interview. When I was a kid, I had a great mentor uh, named Florence Epps. Uh, here she is. And I've spoken about her and a few shows. Uh, she had a play uh, house in her backyard. And I used to go every Wednesday and Thursday. And we would read from the classics and we would read biographies. And this was in the 70s. So there were a lot of autobiographies that were coming out at the time. And uh, if a name came up or a phrase or a place or an event, and she would go, stop, 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 stop. Do you know who that is? Do you know what that's about? And if I didn't know what that word or that phrase or that event was about, she would close the book and she would say, I'll see you next Wednesday. And you come back <laughs> know what that is about. And so as I'm reading your book, mm -hmm. all I kept thinking about was Florence Epps looking over my shoulder. <laughs> Where was this book when I needed this book? Uh, and it reminded me when the, the last revival of Annie was on Broadway mm -hmm. and actually in there was a uh, letter from the director in the playbill and they considered taking the song, we'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover, out of the show because they felt that modern audiences would not know who Herbert Hoover is. And as I'm reading this book again, I'm thinking again, what took us so long to get this incredible book? <laughs> uh, you have dissected every favorite musical uh, of mine that I love. And uh, you were very careful to stay focused on the classics. Um, but you really dissect these musicals and you give us a sense of what these references are that are made in the show. So congratulations well, on a research book. I hope dissect doesn't turn people off. <laughs> Not that no, time. You can't put the book down. Uh, you know, now I want to go back and I want to, uh, whether it's watching the movie or finding clips on YouTube, I want to go back and I want to really step into this. But I want to go back with you um, because, I mean, you are a historian. You've written so many books. Where did your love for musical theater begin? Uh, rather late, uh, by modern standards, I was never taken to see children's theater and things like that. Uh, I didn't see a fr my first play, which was a musical, My Fair Lady, until I was in uh, eighth grade. So, and I fell in love immediately. But I'm behind, you know, these kids who are dragged to sound of music and and would uh, see Annie and Lion King and whatnot. There was nothing like that back then, anyway, and. Uh, so it started there in high school. I, I, watching that clip from the Wells Fargo wagon, I, 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 I blush because my first part was Winthrop, and I could hear those, you know, oh, Thither, oh, Thither, oh, Thither, isn't that the <laughs> I know. Well, I, I was going to ask, I mean, did you have a background as an, uh, as an actor yourself? Just, yeah, high school, college, you know. By the time I went to graduate school, I knew... Uh, acting was was not for me, and and the world didn't need uh, another actor, mediocre actor. Uh, so that's when I got interested in writing plays and and uh, nonfiction about theater. So, and I have directed, you know, several dozen musicals and plays over the years. So I've been involved directly, but the acting one fell apart quickly. <laughs> uh, well, but you're a great writer. Uh, when did you? Uh, I, I mean, this idea. I mean, you give credit uh, to Mark Robinson for mm -hmm. uh, Robertson for uh, giving you the idea for this book. Right. That idea. What was the conversation? I want to go. Yeah, with. it was a conversation, uh, and it was Music Man, and uh, came up. You know, and, you know, what do you think a, a pinchback suit is? You know, I've always heard it. I, you know, and uh, and we said, yeah, I'm sure it's. You know, we could find out what it is. And in that same show, what about this and this and this? And Mark said, uh, who writes a blog? He said, oh, I, I think there could be a good blog in this. I said, 
<laughs> Music Man alone is almost a book. Uh, no, this is not a blog. This is a book. And uh, I says, you should write it. And then he got involved with other projects. And at one point I said, if you're not going to write that book, I'm going to, because I'm just so curious about all these things. And I started listening to soundtracks, you know, when I'm in about eighth grade high school and I'm memorizing things. I don't even know what I'm saying, you know? And uh, I'm thinking audiences could not have known all these things, in particular in case of the Music Man. It was 1957. This play takes place in uh, 1904. You had to be 70 years old at least and lived in the Midwest to catch half of them because they were all gone by now. So that's where the book comes from. I said, Mark, I, this, I'm going to run with this. And uh, it was one of the most fun books I've read because I got to go back. I looked at 50, narrowing down to 50 musicals. You know, it, it was not easy. Um, and surprisingly, very few of them were contemporary because we don't need those shows to be decoded. You know, I mean, I might need to be explained what's going on in Mean Girls, but most people know what's going on. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is that lingo, uh, expressions, mm -hmm. everything are constantly changing. Right. So things that we are listening to today. Uh, you know, when I watch movies uh, all the time, there are references that are made in movies. Oh, um, yeah. Last night I was watching um, uh, The World of uh, uh, Henry Orient, and there are references. I mean, there are some also racial references that are no yeah. longer uh, PC, but there are a lot of uh, phrases and words and expressions in this movie, um, mm -hmm. and people don't even know what they mean anymore. And it's only going back to the 60s, right? 64. Yeah, we're not even talking about a 1935 movie, you know, where, you know, so many things are, are not known. But the, the thing about a, an old movie is you watch it and, uh, you know, and it's the same movie. But Music Man is done all the time. And people are always singing about the noggins and the friggins and the so-and-so, and they have no idea what they're singing about. And the audience doesn't. And it really doesn't matter. Meredith Wilson was so good. And he made no apologies. Yeah, he would say about the Hoover thing, he would say, if they don't know who Hoover is, then don't worry about it. They'll catch on. They're making fun of the president, you know? And uh, I, I think that's what's so amazing about the music man and why it got me started is because I know the original audience didn't know these things. So you don't have to feel it's a dated musical because, oh, we don't know what, uh, you know, what uh, you know, uh, Captain Billy well, Lizbang is, you know. It's like, well, nobody knew that in 1957. The fun thing is to find out what it is. Then when you hear that, you know, uh, Professor Hill sing that next time, he's like, oh, yeah, he's really making a joke here. You know, he really is. But of uh, course, it makes a huge difference now with the way that you watch and listen to these oh, movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, um, uh, in all the musicals I picked, I tried to find musicals that had a lot of references that were known to most people at one time, but not anymore. And I didn't want to insult anybody. So, you know, for Annie, you better explain who, you know, Franklin Roosevelt is. I mean, hopefully everybody knows, but you can't be sure. Well, you can't be sure these no. days. <laughs> and then if you mention Fireside Chat, then you've narrowed it down even more, you know. And let's face it, that generation is going and gone to, you know, listen to those fireside chats. Um, so uh, uh, I, I tried to balance things. Uh, for example, Rent is in there. That is not an old musical. But right. a lot of the things in Rent, street lingo, names for drugs, people in the, uh, in the arts, um, it's already foreign. And, you know, that's, I consider a new musical still because I'm old. Uh, well, I, the furthest I go is... Um, uh, in the Heights is probably the most recent, I think that's the most recent musical, uh, because there are so many New York references and Spanish language references that I think to enjoy that even more, it'd be nice to know what all those terms are. So that's one of the more recent shows, but most of them go up to the 50s, I would say. Well, I remember a few years ago going to see a cabaret show and the singer on stage was singing, I'm the Greatest Star. And when you got to the reference about Camille, I'm an yes. actor Camille, Cough. Cough. she actually said, whoever that is. Mm. And of course, people in the audience had a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And 
I spoke to her privately afterwards and I says, I don't mean to chastise you. Mm -hmm. It really behooves you to know what these references are that you're singing about because she is describing a a specific acting style Mm -hmm. when she's talking about Camille. Um, Is this, I mean, when did you start writing this book, first of all? Uh, This one, um, uh, this did not take as long as most books. Most books take an entire year. Um, this one took less, and it just came out officially uh, in September, but it's been sitting there for at least three or four months. So I would say probably at the beginning of the year, January, I started, yeah. I'm going to bring up a comment in just a moment, but before I do, I want to give a shout out uh, to Donald Feltham. Okay. Uh, Donald, I had the good fortune of being on his radio program uh, a few weeks ago to promote a show that I was doing, um, and uh, and I promote him every week in my newsletter. Uh, and when he sent me the details for this past uh, this week's uh, show, uh, it was an interview with you. That's, That's right. how I came to know you, uh, the Broadway radio show, mm-hmm. uh, and. In great interview, by the way. Uh, and I mean, isn't that a fun format, first of all? Um, so I was listening to that, and uh, you did talk about uh, the list songs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, that was, uh, in my opinion, uh, Cole Porter was probably the most famous mm-hmm. person uh, for the list songs. Uh, but uh, Sondheim also, uh, and this brings it up, uh, Alan. Uh, is, uh, says Cole Porter's cultural references in his sophisticated stanzas have long been lost to many people. Who now knows of uh, BB's bathysphere that Sondheim mentions, and I'm still here from Follies. And mm-hmm. this, of course, is referenced in your book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Porter, uh, when he made jokes and references, almost always they were contemporary. You know, he did go back to literature, you know, uh, he'll use Shakespeare and, and other things. But a lot of his in-jokes, and they weren't in-jokes, most of the audience knew who these people were. When Sondheim writes, I'm still here, most of the audience don't remember the things that Carlotta is going through, because she's older. And uh, so there's a big difference there between Sondheim is is saying, you know, some people are going to recognize these, but this is what was important to her. You know, she lived through Brenda Frazier. To her, is like, that's an accomplishment because that woman had no talent and she was on the newspapers and magazines all the time. And I had to compete with that, you know. Um, and I was so disappointed. The, the most recent recording of that, uh, somebody changed it to Shirley Temple because they thought more people would know who Shirley Temple is than right. Brenda Frazier. And it, to me, it's not nearly the same thing because Shirley Temple was never a threat to Carlotta, the young, you know, wide-eyed vamp or whatever she was. Well, you know, all of these, I mean, Carlotta's song are really mm-hmm. about cultural references to yes. lifetime. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I cringe when there are certain lyrics that are changed as time goes on mm-hmm. simply because people feel that people won't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I, you know, I go back and I do the research and I go back and figure yeah. out who these people are. Um, it, but as you were writing this book, um, what was the biggest surprise for you? Were, were there references that you thought that you knew? That- oh, there were some that I was dead wrong on. You know, I'd heard this a hundred times and I thought, well, you know, that's uh, that, that must be one of those things, you know. And then I go research it. Boy, I was nowhere close um, in uh, anything goes. Uh, they're going back and forth on you're the top. And he says, to, uh, I forget if it's he or she, you're a Brewster body. And I thought, oh, that must be some sexy, you know, pinup girl or something. And he's saying you've got the body of the Brewster. And then I go find out it's armor from World War One. It was a plate of armor that you wore, a Brewster body, invented by somebody named Brewster. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is not at all what I thought. And it's funnier because the, that list song, half of them are sort of caged insults and some of them are compliments. To say you have a Brewster body was like, well, that's like saying, you know, wow, you're built like a, you know, yeah. Uh, like knight in armor. <laughs> so yeah, there were a lot of surprises. And uh some I was my instinct was right, but I didn't know the details. You know, I said, oh. Uh another one I for years listened to uh, Harold Hill sing about uh um 
uh, trotting race where they sit right in, not a wholesome trotting race where they sit right in on the horse. And I thought, well, of course they're going to sit on a horse. But he's referring to before the turn of the century, the horse racing wasn't jockeys and racehorses. It was harness racing. Mm-hmm. And the star was the horse. Somebody had to drive it. And uh, so when he goes and says, imagine some stuck-up jockey boy sitting on Dan Patch. And I thought, well, maybe it's a certain kind of horse. Maybe it's a certain this, you know. Dan Patch was the secretariat, maybe, of the harness thing. And he's saying, well, can you imagine taking a great horse like Dan Patch and then somebody riding on his back and hitting him with a whip? He said, makes your blood boil, you know. Uh, so I was wrong on that one, you know. And uh, But I could see the point he was making because all the people in River City, they only knew harness racing. They heard about horse racing. It sounded like it was just a gambler's thing, you know. Although I'm sure they bet on harness racing too, so yeah, there were a lot of surprises. Was your uh, research on this book uh, obviously this is a very different type of book from the other books that you've written? Mm-hmm. Uh, was your research on this book similar to other books that you've done as far as your research is concerned, or did you have a completely different method of it, research? It for was this a book? whole new a whole new world because uh, um, most of my research is in theater, film history of music but if i wanted to find out you know what an arrow collar was mm-hmm. no theater book is going to help me there you know so i went to, I, I went by the the most trusted dictionaries and they were pretty good unless it was something that was very cultural and popular then they had to go further you know and put in someone like a, a margie hart who is margie hart she's not mm-hmm. going to show up in a dictionary but they refer to her in the song Zip. And I assume she's a, a stripper, but maybe yes. not. So, you, so then you start looking at a different kind of dictionary, a cultural or popular uh, culture type thing. And Margie Hart turns out she was the stripper who was totally untalented. Uh, not that most strippers needed talent. Uh, and, uh, but she was beautiful. She was absolutely beautiful. And uh, she was billed as... The poor man's Greta Garbo. Yes. <laughs> Greta's not going to strip for you, but if you want the face, you know. And uh, so to me, that was fascinating, but it was like I, no theater book is ever going to tell me that, you know. Um, so it was different research. I think that's why it was such a fun book to do, because I was going to all different news sources, you know. The previous well, book, right well, before I, that. Yeah. Yeah, as far as the shows that you chose. I went through them all, and there were some I said, oh, this is a favorite show. Everybody knows this show. And I went through and said, gee, there really isn't much in there. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Um, Into the Woods. People love Into the Woods. But Into the Woods takes place in its own fairy tale reality. It makes no references to the real world. And Into the Woods could have been written in 1954 or 1994, and it didn't matter because it wasn't it wasn't taking in the world around it. So it was like, oh, everybody loves Into the Woods. I got to include that. But there's nothing to describe. It's all there. Um, that was true for um, uh, Once Upon a Mattress, another show that people love. But she makes no jokes about the modern world because it's in this fairy tale medieval well, world. Uh, do you think that it's because that the writers were very specific to keep it in that fairy tale? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they could have had um, uh, Sondheim could have had the witch make some reference to something in the news and got a laugh, but he didn't want to do that, you know, and neither did um, uh, James Lapine in the script, mm-hmm. you know, that, no, they didn't want to uh, acknowledge the outside world. Most musicals do, and most musicals are set in the past. You know, we like, especially the operettas and all the early stuff, nobody wanted a modern musical. It was silly. You went a musical that was set in an exotic place, in a, in a time in the past. And those are the musicals, if they're trying to be accurate, those are the ones that have the great references to it. After Music Man, I think um, uh, one of the most references was uh, Mame. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guys who wrote Mame, they did a very good job on the script and Jerry Herman's lyrics. And Mame is interesting because you do 20s slang for the early scenes. 
Then you do a 1930s slang, you know, for the next part of the play. And it goes all the way through the 50s. So the reason that has so many references is because they're referencing three major, you know, time, four major time periods. And uh, uh, and I was surprised they kept turning, you know, I kept, they kept coming up. The character of um, her actress friend, oh my goodness, Vera? Vera. Vera yeah. Every time she opens her mouth, it's a reference to something of that time period. Or even, you know, uh, Gooch, after they meet Beauregard, um, I think Gooch is the one who says, I never thought Santa Claus would look like Rhett Butler. Yeah, Butler. I mean, well, I'm going to ask you about this. Um, because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at uh, Anti-Mame and you look at mm -hmm. Mame, um, mm -hmm. Jerry Herman uh, was a genius in terms of transferring a lot to the musical. Oh, yes. But there's also references in Anti-Mame that are not in Mame. Uh, but you uh, stuck solely with the musical. I looked at the libretto. Yeah, I know the play pretty well. And they're by the same person. The two guys wrote the same uh, Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee. Yes. I read the original book, but they did a very good job because the book is like a autobiography, you know, by, by Patrick. And then they turned that into a very good musical, I mean, excuse me, a very good comedy, which was made into a movie. And then the same two guys turned it into a musical. They knew what to cut. And they probably were a little bit more aware of their audience when they did the musical, but they still put a lot of things in there. They didn't care if the audience got it or not. Mm -hmm. Especially Vera, you know, to, to say, uh, I'll have you know that, uh, she says, you, you you don't know what it's like to be a mother, Mame says to her. She's sort of the mother to Patrick. I played Mother Cabrini. And she says, I played Mother Cabrini in <laughs> Pittsburgh in Lent. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, you know, Mother Cabrini, that's a different knowledge, you know, the first saint, but she's playing her in Pittsburgh on the road. And most theaters closed in Lent. Right. You know, there was you didn't go to the theater during Lent. So she's making a double, you know, three things there is her joke about, hey, I know all about being a mother. I played Mother Cabrini, you know. Uh, they could have cut that. Um, but it's like, no, it's just too good. <laughs> it's just, it's just too perfect. Do so you I think any series? Uh, from your perspective on why uh, MAME is never revived? Uh, I mean, it's done a lot in stock and oh, yeah. in the country, yeah. but it's never been revived on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, even when Angela Lansbury brought it back once, it didn't even run very well. It was very strange. Um, it is a star vehicle. Um, and I think maybe that combination of the right star play it. so many stars played it you know on broadway and on um uh on the road i thought ann miller was one of the best memes i ever saw she never did on broadway no she did she did yeah she, she, was. Replaced. Yeah, she was a really one shot one. adrenaline right back into that yeah show. and um so it's not like we don't have the stars this recent revival of dolly and then replacing um uh, Bette Midler with Bernadette Peters and uh, whatever. It makes you realize that these, you know, uh, Dolly and Mame are the same ilk, you know, a, a woman show, you know, not young and personality galore. Um, if they wanted to do a Mame, they're, you know, just think of how good Christine Ebersol would be as Mame. I saw Christine Ebersol do Mame. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes. That has done so much. I shouldn't I say. Uh, <laughs> she yeah. did Paper Mill Playhouse. Okay. She's and uh, Jerry Herman actually supervised that production. Uh -huh. uh, she was wonderful. I, yeah, I would I imagine. Yes. That. Yes. And Jerry was in the audience when I was there. So, <laughs> Oh, that's good. That. So this was not recently, obviously. But, uh, no, this was She's many. one of those people that... She doesn't have the box office a name like Bette Midler, but she's one of those people who can just do just about anything. And uh, and there's other ones, you know. There's you can imagine different names. I know Broadway saw Celeste home for a while. Um, uh, did Dorothy Lamore do it, or am I thinking of Dolly? I'm probably getting the Dorothy Lamore did the tour of Dolly, but she did. Yeah, the uh, you know they I get the two shows mixed up, but uh, they kept them running with new names and new Dollies and whatnot. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's my feeling about Mame. I'd, I'd love to see it again. Well, you you referenced earlier 
lyrics being changed, such as Brendan Fraser now being Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on revisals and shows being updated for modern audiences? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I'm trying to think of an example where they took out a lot of good stuff. Um, take the revisal of Flower Drum Song. Now, I included Flower Drum Song in the book knowing that it's not one of the 50 most produced musicals. But I think it was such an important musical and it was such a timely musical that I think it was Mark Robbins who said, you got to include Follies and Flower Drum Song, even though you can't say they're done all the time. And uh, when they and I saw that revisal, and it was a major, major revisal. I saw it as well. A yes. Rodgers and Hammerstein musical comedy. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, they took a musical comedy, and they turned it into a musical play. It got very serious. It, uh, it, I loved a lot of it, but the references just weren't there. You know, uh, Grant Avenue, Chop Suey. I don't know if they took them out or they just didn't work uh as well they watered them down that might be the best way to put it yeah yeah so the aunt when she's singing about you know perry como and she's singing about uh uh your maiden form bra i i just the audiences don't know that now and they did at the time because it was a contemporary musical um, and but I, I do love the reference in uh, when uh, Clara Bow is mentioned, and then they oh, yeah. the responses, who? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they added that. Uh, uh, Clara Bow on the Late Late Show, you know, because that's how people knew old movies. There weren't, uh, in 1950, uh, I think that's, what, 58, uh, there weren't revival houses, there were no videos, DVDs. So if you wa- ever wanted to watch an old movie, it was probably on the Late Late Show. And Clara Bow is going back, you know, I mean, it's silent films. And uh, I love that reference that, that you can watch Clara Bow. I mean, she's been dead for years. And, but uh, uh, yeah, and so that to protect themselves, somebody went, who? Yeah. To me, it's like in the cabaret act, turn around and say, whoever that is, you know. Right. Um, uh, now, Fanny Bryce couldn't do that. No, no. Being a cabaret can get away with it, but for Fanny Bryce not to know who she's idolizing, the great part, you know, I want to be Camille and I want to cough and I want to die and I want to have the audience just in tears. Um, yeah, that's a bigger deal. Thomas, I'm always curious with a book, uh, and this one especially, um, who made the decision that the book was ready for us to have in our hands? Was it your decision? Was it the editor? Was it the publisher? Applause Books, we'll give a shout out to them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, who made that uh, final decision? And after the book came out, I mean, did you feel that there were things that you wanted to go back and uh, revisit? Or did you feel that there were some references that were left out? Or did you feel that you pretty much had covered everything? I, I was pretty careful. For each of the 50 shows, I got a hold of the libretto, all right? And so I wanted to go through every piece of dialogue and all the lyrics. And then the case of Cole Porter, he wrote all these extra lyrics that don't show up in the libretto, but if you get the complete lyrics of Cole Porter, they're there. And uh, so I felt for the shows I picked, I think I got everything. Um, I, I tried not to insult people by adding something that's so well known but on the other hand you know these days i don't know <laughs> what it would well, take I'm not so- about that because i mean depending on where you're from yes. and you know where you grew up uh, you know and what you've been exposed to mm-hmm. uh, that's the bottom line and uh, your age and your age your age so you know a high school kid is getting really interested in uh, uh something and and here's hairspray Uncle Tom, Aunt Jemima, Little Black Sambo, not going to know any of those, you know. Um, so th- there's that too, yeah, that, you know, you just, I'm thinking I listened to this when I'm 12 and 13 and I missed a lot of stuff. Um, so what's, why wouldn't a 12 or 13 year old today, you know, who's into musicals and go, oh, wow, is that what that is, you know? I'm even surprised. Um, I didn't include it because it didn't have enough references, but in A Little Night Music, and I taught for many years, taught musical theater, and I'd have students come in and they're going to report on A Little Night Music, and someone's going to report on 
the Miller's son. Oh, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I said, yeah, that's great. What's a Miller? No idea. <laughs> it's like, um, it's called the Miller's son. Don't you, aren't you interested to know what a Miller is? Uh, so they're everywhere. Yeah. You're always surprised by what people don't know. And, you know, um, I think if I had to do the book again, I think some shows didn't have enough references and I probably could have substituted one that had more, uh, a show like uh, um, uh, Brigadoon, uh, a lot of Scottish terms, but but again, that's a musical. Is in the book. Oh yeah, it's in the book. And I'm just wondering, oh, is there a musical I missed that, you know, uh, that I should have done in case, or go more than 50, I don't know. Uh, I think it's gonna be interesting in 10 years, there's going to be a bunch of musicals that already people are going to be like, well, and dear Evan Hansen, what did they mean when they said blah, blah, blah? You know, the world changes that fast. But that That's true. But then you look at a musical like Hamilton, which yeah. of course has all these historical references yeah. uh, and perhaps there's a new book for you on the his, on these uh, historical yeah. musicals. Yeah. Um, but uh, would you consider those types of musicals in terms of those references? Because I'm sure that a lot of people probably, I mean, again, mm -hmm. uh, I was that geeky kid, still am, who looked these things up if I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. If I'm watching a movie or a TV show or something and a reference comes up, I, again, uh, in the world of Henry Orient, uh, last night uh, he walks out of Carnegie Hall and the number over Carnegie Hall is 161. And I went, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I looked it up and of course it was the wrong address. Oh, I see. This so is the, this, was he coming out of the concert hall or out of the uh, uh, the school and the studios? He was walking through the front entrance. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. it was yeah. definitely, uh, you know, not the right address yeah. there. But, uh, there may have been reasons why when they filmed it that they wanted to use a different uh, dress or something. Or that might have been, you know, I'll just never forget. I, I lived in Dayton, Ohio in my high school years. And I remember watching a TV show about UFOs in the, the headquarters for UFO was uh, study UFOs by the government was in Dayton, Ohio. And the opening shot was Wright Patterson Air Force Base with palm trees. <laughs> there are no palm trees in Dayton, Ohio. Never were, never will be. Um, so sometimes you just, you know, uh, movies do that. As far as inaccuracies, uh, I found Annie had the most. Um, uh, who wrote the script for that? He's so uh, Thomas Ian. Yes. Anyway, uh, he kept referring to things. It says in the, the, the libretto, this takes place within these three months of 1933. Mm-hmm. And he had things that had not happened yet. Uh, for example, the fireside sh chats had not even started yet when this musical took place. He probably knew that and thought it's not worth worrying about because fireside chats is important to understand FDR. Um, so I did run across a lot of depression stuff that they just were a little bit off by a couple months, but it doesn't matter. You know, if you know what a fireside chat is, it's perfect for them to mention that at that point in the musical. Uh, that was the only one I, I, I noticed where I found mistakes when I went to the actual. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, are, I mean, are there references to certain things in other musicals that are inaccurate references? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't mean mistakes that are made, but where they fudge a little bit with mm -hmm. certain terms yeah. and phrases. Sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they knew, but they said, you know, it's too good to pass up. I'll give you a pretty recent example. I think um, the score for Great Gardens is superb. I think mm -hmm. it's one of the best scores of the last 20 years. And so I'm not down on, on the two guys who wrote that. But when they're singing a song and she says, oh, remember mama, this is a song you taught me when I was a little girl. And this, this uh, show takes place in 1941, I believe. And so she's remembering a song that she, you know, a little girl, and in the song they say, it's like Crosby and Hope. 
Now, Crosby and Hope had never even met each other in the <laughs> 1920s or the 30s. The road pictures are 40s, you know. And I could have bought it if they were singing in the 40s about the 40s, but she was making a big point. This is a song from my youth, and she's in her 30s now or something. And uh, and I don't blame, you know, it rhymed. <laughs> I don't know what it rhymed with something, I'm sure. But it just bothers me because it's like, no, she wouldn't sing that in the old days, you know. Things um, like that drive me crazy. And I'll give you two examples. And uh, right after Liberace passed away, okay. uh, there were several TV movies. And one of them, I don't remember who the actor was, but I do remember that Rue McClanahan played his mother. Uh, oh. And I know that someone's going to pick up and let me know which... Uh, Was it Victor Garber? Uh, I'm sorry? Victor Garber, maybe? Uh, I don't know if it was Victor Garber. Yeah, there, there uh, were several. You're right. That there were several, but he was playing in a speakeasy in 1935, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And he was playing The Man That Got Away which was written in 1954. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. also in um, It's the Lovely. Yes, I was just going to think of that. Yeah, in It's the Lovely, there are many inaccuracies yeah. as to when certain songs were written. Uh, the film opens when Cole Porter first arrives in Hollywood uh, with uh, him, one of the first songs him writing in Hollywood, uh, Be a Clown, which of course did not come into the late uh, into yeah, yeah. Uh, the forties. Um, that that movie got away with certain things because it wasn't a realistic biography. It was kind of a you know surreal at times. And when uh, Kevin Klein sang "True Love," a song that wasn't written until the, what High Society is in the fifties. And he's singing it in the 1920s, you know, and he says, uh, what do you think of that song? You know, and he's like, well, you haven't written it yet is what I thought. But uh, yeah, that movie took a lot of liberties as well. Yeah. And it, just look at all the, the movie biographies of the past, how wrong, or nah, I can't say wrong, but they just, you know, Cole Porter's night and day, you know, I don't think there was anything that was accurate in that, except that well, I mean, like those songs. Well, many of those uh, movies that, came out around that same time, Night and Day and Words and Music. And oh, yeah. there were many liberties. One. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, till the clouds roll by, yeah. Uh, till the clouds roll by. Mm -hmm. um, again, getting back uh, and revisiting uh, these, uh, were there things that you had forgotten that came back to you and going back to these. And if, I mean, I know you went back and you read the libretto of all of these, mm -hmm. but did you go and watch the films as well? Or um, were there other I references? I listened to a few songs mm -hmm. uh, after I read the lyric and I went, boy, I don't remember this. And then when I listened to it, it was like, oh yeah, they always said that, but I just went right over my head, you know? Um, and uh, dialogue too, because uh, I know, you know, we, we tend to listen to the soundtracks over and over again. We don't read the script over and over again, unless you've seen the show many times. I would say there were more things in the libretto that I went, oh, boy, I forgot about that reference. Well, I'm does the original libretto for Anything Goes even exist anymore? Because that has um, changed so many I don't things. think so. There's a slightly revised one that they did. Um, I think it may have come from that off-Broadway version. Mm -hmm. And then they did a new version for Lincoln Center. So what I did is I looked at all of them. Same thing with Showboat. I looked at all of them. And if it was in any of them, uh, I've included, for example, uh, Anything Goes, they switch the songs around like crazy. So uh, some of them have Take Me Back to Manhattan, you know, which was not written for it. And, uh, even well, I, I did uh, Anything Goes in stock. I played Sir Evelyn Oakley. And uh, I went Can you recall what version it would have been? Uh, this was uh, based on the Patti Lapone version. Oh, okay, that's Lincoln uh, Center. But the song that uh, that uh, he sings uh, with Reno um, is "The Gypsy in Me," uh, but I prefer "Let's Misbehave." So mm -hmm. I went to the director and said, "Could we mm -hmm. possibly do Let's Misbehave?" Mm -hmm. And they did. That's the version yeah. that I did in the show. Yeah. I think it's a much uh, better song, and it's much more, it, more fun to perform. It, you know, I, I wouldn't do that to a Sondheim show, but a Cole Porter show, I would. You know, <laughs> so 
he writes, you'd be so easy to love. The original, Gaxton, uh, William Gaxton cannot hit the high notes. So they cut the song and they give him all through the night, maybe. And, you know, and uh, uh, it doesn't matter. They're both great love songs. Mm -hmm. They weren't written with the character in mind, you know. Uh, when Cole Porter wrote those love songs, he didn't know who was going to be playing it or what character would sing it. Um, and you could do that, I feel more, you know, with confidence. Um, but I wouldn't want to turn around and take a song out of Sweeney Todd and put something from Into the Woods. You know, no, it, just, you, you, no. it just would, you know. You know years just, ago, a friend of mine was doing a, a cabaret show in New York, um, and he was doing a tribute to Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. That blue line with a story in it, and Sondheim, uh, he was sent a cease and desist uh, letter. Yeah. And it wasn't that he objected to him doing the songs. He objected mm -hmm. to the fact that he had put a story mm -hmm. connecting those songs that he did not create. Yes. And that was the issue with him. Uh, I also know uh, that Richard Rogers was a stickler uh, for his songs being performed exactly as he wrote them. And so knowing that, and I've been fortunate enough to, Celeste Holm was a dear friend of mine, uh -huh. Roy Reams, people that, the stories that I've heard Leslie Ann Warren about working with uh, Richard Rogers and respecting him, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it bothers me tremendously when a singer, uh, and I realize that everyone should have their own interpretation of a song, but when they change the ent entire uh, style of the song, mm -hmm. I have huge issues with that, mm -hmm. even and in a cabaret room or uh, how, however they decide to do it. Now, in Roger's case, he's only concerned with the music. Exactly. Someone is, you know, hey, wait a minute, I really wanted that to end on a F sharp, and you turned it into, you know, a bebop thing. Um, and uh, I don't think he ever complained about a lyric change because he, he 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 knew lyrics were very important, but that wasn't his area. Um, and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is the same way. He's very very particular about music, but the lyrics nowhere close to the original. You know, he's even said, "I didn't write the lyrics. I don't remember them." <laughs> so uh, Rogers uh, was. He was he was a serious guy. Mm -hmm. and this is my work, and 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 you're just you know you're having fun with it, doing weird things, you know. Um, and it's hard in a cabaret setting, uh, whatnot. When you do the show, you don't mess with it. You know, you're doing carousel. You don't decide to uh, jazz up, you know, uh, a song like the clam bake, you know. Um, but I'm sure somebody's done it as a jazz piece or as a as a swing number in some cabaret somewhere. And, I, you know, how do you stop that? Um, it's tricky. Then the case of Sondheim, he wrote that for a character. He knew the character before he wrote the song. And now you've taken that song and you've given it to a different character. That is, yeah, I can see why he'd be very upset by that. Do you have a favorite score or a favorite musical that you never get tired of that you could just go back and over and over and over again? Personal reasons. The first two musicals I saw on Broadway, Company and Follies. I was spoiled for life. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> Those are your first two musicals, wow. different trips. You know, there was one trip to New York and another trip to New York. From Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Or in that case, I think it was going all the way from St. Louis. But um, so those are special to me. I don't like the see. I don't like they do weird things to company, and they've done everything to company. Mm -hmm. uh, as much as I, I enjoy Follies, I, I, you know, scaled down Follies to me is don't do it. You know, if you can't do it uh, as a Follies show, don't do it. So I would say those are two that I never get tired of, but I also take very personally. And, um, uh, and I, yeah, there's probably still my two favorite musicals. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> Your favorite musicals are the first two you ever saw, but no, I had to watch a lot of musicals to realize how good those were. Well, the very first show that I saw on Broadway was Oklahoma. 
and uh, it was the 1979 revival. And uh, and it was it was done. I mean, it was it was truly a museum piece, but it was so beautifully done that it, it still resonates. Christine Andreas, Christine Eversall, just an incredible guitar, and yeah, I I didn't see that. I have the recording. Yeah, mm-hmm. just incredible production. Mm-hmm. So I can actually absolutely understand where you're coming from with that. Um, you you mentioned you know I mean and Follies is uh, uh, I mean company is one of these shows. I mean recently just we just had a gender reversal um, with that show. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Leroy Reams once said to me that if you're going to do a show, uh, either do it as it was written. Or if you go, it's like baking a red velvet cake. We all know what a red velvet cake looks like, what it tastes like. Uh-huh. Let's say, Thomas, you're going to say, I'm going to change this ingredient for uh-huh. this, this, and this. Uh-huh. It da- damn well better taste better than the original. Uh-huh. Otherwise, why bother? Right. And, well, and the directors today will say, I'm going to make a, a, a red velvet cake. I don't like red velvet cake. So I'm going to fix it. Right. <laughs> then why do it? And the director of the company that was doing says that she didn't think the, comp- the, the show was relevant anymore. So I'm going to fix it. As an artist, I want to give free reign to mm-hmm. the creativity of all artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the same token, I want to respect those that went before mm-hmm. what they brought to the table yep. and let them, you know, mm-hmm. why do... Uh, Brigadoon or any of these other musicals, if you're not going to present to the audience what they created, mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. It's um, uh, there are revivals that were radically different, but they were in the spirit. I'm thinking of that uh, Carousel revival that mm-hmm. was so wonderful. It was at Lincoln. It was from London, and they did it at Lincoln Center. Uh, different, but boy. Rogers would have loved it. You know, it was true to the spirit of everything in the original. Yeah, so we took the overture and we turned it into this, but, you know, it worked. And that happens on occasion. Then once in a while, you get a revival that is very traditional. It's just so good that you realize why the original was so good. And I would say uh, uh, the South Pacific revival uh, that was at Lincoln Center, and they didn't do anything radical to it. But it was like, this is what people got so excited about in 1949. A full orchestra, you know, beautiful voices. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of revivals. You know, it's a revival that reminds you how good the original was or a revival that says, hey, I've got a new fresh pair of eyes, but I haven't ignored what the original wanted to do. Yeah, those are, to me, excellent revivals. And, and do, you get, do you get to see a lot of theater? I mean, I know that you're in Florida. Right now, yeah. Uh, uh, Most of my years were in Cortland, New York. All right, taught at the State University of New York in Cortland. And that was about a a four to five hour drive. So I would say between 1982 when I went there and I retired in 2015, that we would go in and and see, you know, uh, four or five times a year, maybe. Maybe times I'm only three. But you know what happened at the end by the 2000s? Every time we went to New York, we were seeing a revival. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get interested in the new stuff. You know, wonderful on the town revival, you know, on the 20th century revival. This, and we were loving it and thinking, my goodness, when's the last time we saw, you know, and there were, there were some wonderful ones. But uh, the fact that we were seeing so many revivals knew that I was getting old. Well, Manny Eisenberg, uh, a great article came out this week, but he says that we chased audiences away uh, when uh, a chorus line uh, opened. Uh, the top ticket price was fifteen dollars. Oh gosh! Uh, and uh, it was, it, it, I, I came to New York in nineteen seventy nine. Okay. And uh, oh, yeah. I could go and see mm-hmm. uh, three and four Broadway shows a week. Mm-hmm. And there were twofers. I was able to go with friends. We would go and see shows. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just affordable to be able to go to the theater. And I don't see theater uh, as often as I would like to see it. Uh, mm-hmm. because it's just so expensive yeah. now. Uh, and, and it's 
become an elitist art form. Um, I want to ask you, we're going to run out of time. I, I could go on forever with you. Um, um, out of all the musicals that are referenced here, um, are there any that you actually never saw performed live? Hmm. Run down the list here. Um, the, um, Ringo's Wonderful Town, uh, Gypsy Sun Music. Uh, no, I've seen every one of these. Wow. Somewhere along, you know, not Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of this one. Like Dream Girls, I didn't see until recently. A really good uh, community production. Um, Assassins Only Community Productions, Grand Ragtime. Uh, and Shrek, I've seen the, the video. Didn't they make a video of Shrek? I saw the whole thing. So yeah, so I saw all of them, but I can't say I know them some as well as others, you know. When did the writing begin for you? Uh, first book was 1990. And uh, I wanted to write a book about lyrics. There were no books about lyrics back in 1990. And I started it and I found out uh, to my dismay it was so hard and expensive to quote lyrics in a book back then. And I ended up spending a lot of money on royalty, on permissions. And uh, the word, the book was word crazy. And it was about lyricists from Cohan all the way and a little bit past Sondheim. Um, and it wasn't a good choice. But there were no books about lyrics at the time. There's been some really, and you didn't even have all those complete lyrics of Lorenz Hart, complete lyrics of, you know, those books didn't exist yet. They all came out in the 90s. So that was a tough start, but but it was a book I thought, oh, I could write about this, uh, but I didn't realize the consequences of writing with it. Today, you can quote lyrics much more freely. Uh, it's loosened up a lot. Uh, it's still kind of touchy, but uh, I remember I wanted to quote one line from Rodgers and Hammerstein thing, and uh, they charged me a hundred dollars. Well, line, you know. I so, was I was in church on Sunday, and a lady in church, uh, she kept uh, several times she would reference a a lyric from a Broadway musical, and she said, "These songs are the soundtrack of my life." And yes. uh, I said, "I absolutely understand where you're coming from, and I'm right there with you." Yeah. Uh, Thomas, I want to say congratulations. Um, uh, at the beginning of the show, I made the mistake of saying dissecting. It is decoding. <laughs> well, whatever. You give all of us uh, a chance to go back and revisit and to really dig a little bit deeper. And I thank you for this. Uh, and I again, uh, I want to say, Donald Fetham, uh, thank you for having you on the show uh, because it brought you to my attention. And I'm going to go and check out your other books as well. Um, and uh, reaching out to you and you saying yes to me. The book just came out this week. Mm -hmm. uh, I was lucky to get this from the Drama Bookshop because it was the last one left. So it's flying off the shelves. So congratulations about that. Um, I'm gonna give my final word of the day and then mm -hmm. I'm gonna turn it over to you and you're gonna have the final word. It could be about anything that we spoke about today uh, that you wanna build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you wanna leave everyone with today. Um, I wanna thank everyone who took the time to be here today. Um, I wanna remind you all uh, that our sponsor uh, for this show today uh, is my dear friend, uh, Patty Bottino Bravo. And Patty is going to be appearing uh, on Saturday night uh, at uh, uh, the Laurie Beachman Theater. So if you get a chance, go and see her. She has a phenomenal voice. And uh, she's just returned to singing uh, after teaching for many years. So uh, welcome back. Uh, and thank you uh, for sponsoring today's show. Um, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, I want you to call your favorite bookseller and I want you to ask them if they have Broadway decoded on their shelves. And if they don't, tell them they need to get it. And then after they order it, I want you to order two copies. I want you to keep one for yourself. And if there's a friend or a companion that you love going to the theater with, get a copy for them as well. And then in addition to this, and Thomas, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time.
Uh, not okay. an email message, not a text message, not a private mm-hmm. inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know that they've made a difference in your life. And by doing so, you're going to make a difference in their life. I have a dear friend, and he says, we're all in this together, uh, but we're in different boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. Thomas, you got the final word. And when you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. So okay. you can- so you don't have to worry about how do I end this. It's all yours. Thank you. For okay. uh, I think I would end saying um, I'm so grateful that uh, the musical theater became part of my life. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't become a famous actor, or director, or writer, or anything. Um, but I, I just think my life would have been a lot darker and less fulfilled if I hadn't at one point discovered musicals. And at one point I felt musicals were going out and nobody was seeing them, young people weren't. And I'm glad to say in the last 10, 20 years, that's changed. There are more people going to see musicals. There are more cabaret acts doing musical theater songs. So I'm encouraged. Uh, The things that I loved are not being missed by other people. So that, that would be my final thought. Thank you.